Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be discussing medieval line production. Personally, I think that one of the most casually disregarded modern miracles is that any person, member of a trade guild or not, can walk into a builder's merchant or DIY shop in any part of the country and buy a bag of cement, some sand, some bricks, and then they have all the necessary materials to build a permanent structure. To a mason in 1717, the ease in which the mortar was acquired would seem nothing short of a miracle, for the favoured material for bonding stonework and brickwork together at the time was the notoriously caustic and dangerous hydraulic lime. Its successor, the much less dangerous Portland cement, was some 39 years off of being developed by John Smeaton in 1756, uh, when he was called to erect the Eddystone Lighthouse off the coast of Plymouth, Devon. Mm. But why do we care about this as masons? What does this fundamental of building materials, lime, have upon Freemasonry? Lime mortar is a truly ancient material. In roughly 4000 BCE, the Egyptians found that limestone, when burnt and combined with water, produced a material that would harden with age. The first documented use of this was when the pyramids were plastered using a lime-based plaster. It is unclear when the Romans started to use uh, lime mortar, but by around 150 BCE, it was a common practice. The Romans developed a hydraulic setting lime mortar with the addition of volcanic ash, which is a pozzolan. Vitruvius, writing in around 25 BC, specifies a ratio of one part lime to three parts pozzolan for lime mortar used in buildings and a one to two ratio of lime to pozzolan for underwater works. And may I just take this opportunity to quickly explain the difference between lime and cement that most people misunderstand. Mortar is what is used to bond stone and brickwork, and the difference between lime and cement is that they are two different types of materials used to make mortar, not the mortar itself. <clears throat> Most people confuse cement with concrete, which is a mix of sand, cement and aggregate, the cement being the binding material. Perhaps this is because the term cement derives from the Latin word cementum, which meant stone chippings, such as were used in Roman mortar. Roman mortar resembled what us moderns would call concrete. Confused? Thought so. <laughs> So why dedicate an episode of a podcast on Freemasonry to lime? Because of the method of its production in the times of the Great Cathedral Building of Europe. Burning limestone, which is calcium carbonate, gives you quick lime, calcium oxide. Mixed with water, it produces slaked lime, uh, calcium hydroxide, or lime putty, a very dangerous material. It was this buttery material that was used to bind stones together in the Great Cathedrals. So how do you make quick lime? In the medieval days, great roasting kilns were made, to close, uh, were made close to building sites and quicklime was made on site for each project. There weren't any Jusons or Travis Perkins or builders merchants like we know them today. Everything was made on or near the building site. From a written description of lime roasting kilns, the kilns had sandstone walls, brick lining for the pot and for front wall, and a single arch drawer hole. The ledge ran around the inside and a wooden frame or iron horse helped the formation of the initial load of chalk, which would form a dome. Smaller pieces of chalk were added. A fire was lit under the dome and modest heat first, uh, a modest heat first to dry and set the charge, and then a fierce heat was applied until calcinating was completed in 24 to 36 hours, indicated by a clear red fire at the top. After a lengthy cooling period, the, time of the, the line was drawn out. Long-handled tools were used for raking and clearing ashes. The complete operation took probably four to five days. The fuel could be a mixture of coal and wood, but, lo uh, but locally in a wooded area, it would have been brushwood, coppiced uh, wood or furs. 
see, the important twist is that you must remember this. This was in the days before the era of modern science and chemistry. And as these were chemical procedures that were being performed, the lime roasters would have been alchemists. So what mm. implication does this have upon Freemasonry? If the cathedral building stonemasons of Europe worked alongside alchemists, by association, could alchemical knowledge be hidden or encoded in the work of the practices of the masons at the time? If so, would this knowledge have found its way into speculative Freemasonry? It's rather a large jump and an abrupt conclusion, but do you have any thoughts on the topic, Brother Earnshaw? Um, two came to mind. Um, first, uh, actually, the questions, because I, I know nothing about the subject, and you live in the, I think it's the centre of lime production in the UK, isn't it? Down so some, in something to yeah. do with this. Yes, there's lots of kaolin. Yeah. There's a massive deposit of kaolin. Oh, okay. Kaolin, that's also China. used in China, yeah. That's exactly So it. my first question is... Um, isn't it used in, in explosives as well, bombs and things? I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but mo more than likely, if, if you've heard that somewhere. Yeah, I've heard that it's, um, mm, um, there's a type of, it's, I'm looking actually on the internet now. Um, lime is used to treat soil that has explosives in it, mm. but I'm sure that, um, uh, a cup in America, some bombs have been made from simple things that you can get fertilizer and lime ash or something like that. Oh, it's yes, that makes, makes a bomb, potash yeah. or something like this. Yes, potash, I, I yeah. think, I think so. Yes, some, something along okay. these lines. Oh, okay. Then the second question is, is uh, you mentioned um, Roman mortar. Mm. Uh, I seem to remember they used arsenic in yes. Roman. Yes, What's the did. arsenic for? I don't know. The, the, one of the great mysteries of Roman concrete is we're still not sure exactly what the, the constitution of it is. The, mm. the, the making of the Pantheon, that was the building that was made with Roman concrete. It looks like stone. It looks exactly mm. like stone. Yeah, But right. it's extremely hard. Uh, it's been speculated yes. that they used uh, different types of volcanic ash and perhaps brick dust. But yes. it's, it's still not been deciphered. It's one of those great mysteries, like, like Greek fire. It's still not been discovered. Mm. So there's a... Um, a Egyptian academic called Mustafa Gadala, mm -hmm. who writes very accessible uh, books um, that he's published, and they're on Amazon, of course, and all mm. to do with Egypt. And one of his theories is that the pyramids were actually um, weren't made by hauling stones up the side of a pyramid. They're actually made in situ using concrete. Mm, I've and as you as said, well. the concrete the the Romans were using uh, looks like stone when it's it really finished. Does. It doesn't look like it. it. it really and does. we know that uh, in those days the uh, Egyptians used the Jews as slaves to um, mine arsenic out of the in the mountains. That's it. So yeah. they were using arsenic to make uh, cement. And also, you know, some, yeah, I suppose it's a type of cement to make the pyramids. So there was none of this hauling mammoth rocks up the side. They, they'd make a um, a form like just a normal form out of plywood, mm. not plywood, but you know, whatever they had, and they just pour it in, let it set, and then push the stone, you know, uh, two inches to the right <laughs> once it's set. Um, and there are examples, uh, and his he bases his reasoning on this, not just the arsenic, but some of the stones on the pyramids have um, actually been double poured. Mm. 
So they didn't have enough material. They poured half, and then later they made a new batch and added it. Ah. And you can see the line where they've added this the second pour. That's an interesting theory. Which in which in um, uh, in in Japan uh, you wouldn't pass inspection for foundations if no. you used a, second, <laughs> no. a double pour. <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's my top and first. That yes. just seems that. Um, there's more to this than we understand. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's very interesting uh, the, the possibility that there are alchemical secrets in the uh, cathedrals of Europe, which we we kind of know. Uh, the the book, the mysteries of the cathedrals, by Falconelli, he has yes, is a much more modern author, much more the 20th century author. It's, it has some very interesting things to say, but obviously mm. we have Nicholas Flamel um, with the stonework around his house that hints at certain things but something i find interesting as well is um whilst you touched on the topic of mining and mm. um, and arsenic being used for, for mortar is the midianites the midianites weren't a weren't hebrews but jethro who's moses's father-in-law was a midianite and in mm. some traditions he received he gives him the tablets of the law now there, there's a mountain um in jordan in, in the Sinai Peninsula, called Sereba El Kadim, which was explored by Flinders Petrie, and he, Flinders oh, Petrie was of the opi- of opinion that that was uh, Mount Sinai, mm. and it's very interesting because there's a Hathor temple at the top, and there's a large turquoise mine, which is very similar to the mines in Timna, and there's probably the earliest inscriptions of um, the tetragrammaton there, and also some very interesting graffiti in Proto-Hebrew. <laughs> proto-hebrew graffiti so it's a, it's a very interesting site and i personally think that there are more things that meet the eye and more things that are in academia that have uh, to be researched with regards to mining activity uh, cop- uh copper the calcolithic era and it's spread throughout the levant and that mm. meets the eye and the development of what would be known to academia as the yahwistic cult of course, um, the Egyptians were famous for their copper mines. Yes, and um, they used again um, Hebrew slaves to dig That's, it up. There you go. And yep. they built whole cities along the the Nile, either yes. side of the Nile, based just on build uh, digging up copper. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yes, and you know England also has copper deposits, and uh, it's believed that um, Arabs have actually invaded. Mm-hmm. South of England, Cornwall, Devon, yes, Somerset. They looking took slaves, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not just slaves. slaves, but they took the copper. They did, yeah. <laughs> well so we, we don't learn this in school. <laughs> no, we don't. I think they were called white gold, the, blo- the blondes they used to kidnap from the slave in the slave. White gold, um, yes, uh, was another word for it. Ivory, uh, white ivory. Something something for, along For the white lines. slaves, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it happened. All, all these yes. parts of history. Yes. So, you know, big people saying, oh, slaves just come from Africa. Europeans were slaves as That's well. That's true. That's very so, true. You know, yeah. it's just we kind of skirt over that. <laughs> it's Absolutely. not PC. Not PC. No. <laughs> Eddie, I uh, think we'll okay. leave that there. That's um, yes. That was an interesting one. So if you have <laughs> any questions, please email on the link below. We now part on the square and we will meet soon. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.